And uh, this morning we've got the illustrious Nathan Johnson. If your kids go to the school, it's uh, Mr. J, right? Anyway, all right, Nate, we're excited. Nate's going to be continuing this morning out of our, we've been talking through 2 Chronicles 7. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And Nate's going to be speaking on that this morning. And uh, why don't we just stretch out our hand for a second while he starts. Nate hasn't preached in a while, so. I know. I need, I need, I need more. Yeah. Holy Spirit oil. Exactly. In the joints. <laughs> so Lord, this morning we just, um, we thank you that you're going to use Nate mightily this morning, that you're going to use him to speak your word. Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that we want to be a people who hear what you're saying and respond to what you're saying. Lord, and just this morning as Nate throws down the gauntlet, challenges us, I pray that we would respond. We wouldn't just take it away. We would be doers of the word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are going to equip him with power from on high to not just speak words, but to release your anointing that breaks the yoke. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, Mike continues to work here, otherwise I might have to switch. Um, but anyway, it's, like I said, it's always a privilege to get up here and be able to uh, preach. And so we, we don't take these, these things lightly. A lot of prayer uh, and time goes into these messages. And I've had this, uh, just this kind of piece of scripture on my heart for, for quite a while. And so, again, it's just been, uh, it's awesome to finally uh, get to have an opportunity just to kind of release what, what you feel like God is, is saying to you through this piece of scripture. And so... Um, I first just want to, uh, like I often like to do, is just, just start with a story. And, and again, um, I kind of have to uh, do this, and, and my, my mom can't, she says, she's like, I can't sit in the crowd and watch you. She always has to like listen to it after, she gets, you know, mom nerves and all this sort of stuff. And so I thought, uh, so mom, while you're listening to this later, here's a shout out to you. So um, my, my mom background is Dutch, and so I thought, okay, i gotta, I got to find a Dutch story that, that relates uh, to the message today. And so, for those that maybe um, come from the Netherlands or have a, a Dutch background, maybe, there we go, see? Maybe, maybe you've heard the story of, of Hans. And Hans is this uh, little boy who, uh, upon kind of walking through the town with his friends, he notices that one of the dikes has a leak. And in the spur of the moment, what he does is... He sticks his finger in the dike because he starts to basically realize at that moment is that a small little drip in the dike could eventually lead to a bigger right drip and eventually maybe the dike could collapse. And his town, among many other towns, could be flooded and many people could be injured. And so what he does is he, he keeps his finger in the dike all night long. And obviously, it's not that comfortable, and he's crying out, and he's calling, and he's like, hey, like, where is, where are these people? And finally, after a whole night of, of doing that, the workers come, and obviously help him, they fix the dike, and the people in those towns and communities are saved. And for us, maybe it's kind of sometimes maybe a foreign concept, it's like, okay, these ideas of dikes, but for those that maybe know about the Netherlands, is... 20% of the Netherlands is actually below sea level. And 50% is only one meter above sea level. The Dutch also know 
What happens if dikes break? In 1953, there uh, was a big storm on the northern sea, and some dikes gave way, and actually, unfortunately, thousands of people died. So they understood this very well. And so this morning, maybe you're feeling like there's a little trickle in your life. Maybe it started to, to pull you away from God. Maybe you're, at times, maybe trying to stick one finger in one hole and, and a toe in another, and, and you just feel like maybe, you know, your relationship with God is, is slipping away. Maybe, maybe it's not your personal life, but maybe you look out at the society that we're a part of. Maybe it's Canada or, or the world's. And you, you look and, you, and, and it grieves your heart to see what's happening. Maybe that, right, dams are bursting in other places around the world. But what we're going to see this morning is the Israelites, the dam had definitely broke. That they were way off of what God had called them to. But what we're going to see is we're going to see a young man who started to seek. That he wanted to slow up the waters that had started to flood the place that he had been called to lead. And so, this morning, the kind of the overall idea that we're going to focus on is transformative steps come in our lives when we seek God. So the first point that we're going to um, take a look at this morning is, in the seeking, we find our steps. And we're going to take a look... And some good sections of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So it will be up on the screen, but also if you uh, have your Bibles or a device, you can follow along. I'm going to be reading mostly out of the ESV, but I totally encourage you as well, when you look at scripture, to look at other translations. And just the way that they um, translate some things, and sometimes it can definitely speak to you. And I was definitely reading through the message as well, and it had some amazing ways of just articulating this story. So I'm just going to read the first verse, and then we're going to draw some points from it, and then we're going to move on into the scripture. So, again, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1 says this. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And again, I just want to pause on the first verse. Again, to go back to that analogy that I was talking about with the dam. Israel had gone way off track. What had happened, if we look at history, is that the Assyrians had come in. And what they had done is, they had, the Israelites had assimilated with the Assyrians. And they had brought in all sorts of, of gods. And we'll see what happens with Josiah and, and the plans that he has. But again, God is a God of timing, right? And what happens in this time is, the Assyrians were in charge, but their time was drawing near in the international scene. What happens is the Babylonians and the Medes, what they do is they get together and they actually push out the Assyrians of Israel and into Judah. So now if you can understand kind of the, the, the culture that the Israelites are a part of, and I think that's important, they were serving all sorts of other gods. They had really distanced themselves. The book of the law had been pushed away. There's parts of scripture where the kings actually heard the piece of scripture as they read it to it, and they would rip it up and toss it into the fire. So they were far from what God had called them to. So with that in mind, let's read on. Verse 2, and it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
And he walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. As a young man, Josiah stood in marked contrast to his grandfather and his father, Amon. In fact, Scripture declares there was no king, either before or after him, who was as obedient to the law of Moses as he was. When he was young, he began to seek the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but that piece of Scripture, I pondered and thought about a ton. Where did this seeking come from? Why did it start? He had nowhere to look. Josiah being actually a handful, only five. So him being one of the five were the only kings in Israel and Judah that had that little title title when you read in Chronicles that they did good or they did what was right. Only five. So, so many others were way off from what God had called them to. So there's something key, there's something vital, there's something important in this idea of seeking. That he began to seek God, and that God would use one person and their seeking to change a nation for an extended period of time. We need to see the significance of seeking God. What did he do? He started to seek God, and then God started to give him things to do. He started clearing out the things that were taking the Israelites away from God. But as we notice, there was action. There's always action that follows the revelation that God gives you and I. Right? We can't just contain it. We can't just keep it to ourselves. As he sought God, four years later, he was faced with this revelation of what do I do and God had given him this, these ideas, and so he started to do it. When God transforms us from the inside out, there's noticeable change. I'm sure many of you can tell, tell stories of how, right, once I was lost, but now I am found. And the things that maybe you did before, they just, they just don't have the same allure as they did before. When God comes, when the Holy Spirit comes and reside, lives inside of you, there's changes that happen. Let's continue on at verse 4. And they chopped down the altars of Baal in his presence, and they cut down incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved metal images, and he made dust of them, and scattered over the graves those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, in their ruins and all around. He broke down the altars, beat the ashrams and the images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had clean, cleansed the land and the house, he sent Sophia and Azilah and Manasseh, the, government, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joah, as the recorder to repair the house 
Let's just back up. Sometimes, right, when we hear all these words and these, these different gods, and, and we kind of think, okay, like, maybe trying to visualize what these things looked like. And I know I did that, and kind of looked at and Google images of, of the things that they've recovered. And basically, right, there's, there's lots of these poles and kind of images of um, gods and goddesses. Many, many things that the Assyrians had worshipped, the Israelites had put in various places around Israel and Judah. So figurines, right? Some carved out of wood, some cast iron, those sort of things. But again, when Josiah heard God, he took seriously the reforms. And what's, to me, amazing is that he even went beyond the borders of Judah. Again, some history. Remember, Israel and Judah had separated. But Josiah knew this call went beyond Judah. And so he took it outside of, of kind of his area and went into Israel as well. He knew that God had called him to be a part of the change in Israel as well. And I was kind of thinking of this phrase, right? For such a time as this, God had called Josiah. And then I thought about ourselves. For you and for me, have we taken that call seriously? Josiah could have stopped at the seeking. He could have allowed, again, God to talk to him and do nothing with it. Yet in those times of quiet prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And this sounds bold, but I like the phrase of, God doesn't speak to be heard, He speaks to be obeyed. And I know that's a strong challenge. And when we hear that, that word obeyed, for some of us, it maybe has negative connotations to it. Right? But God is asking us not to just hear, but to act, to obey to what He is saying. Right? What has he called you to do? What has he highlighted in your life? What, what things has he highlighted in your prayer times? Maybe he's asking you to take that step. That another important point of this scripture is that you are an important piece to this puzzle. Right? God had a specific call for Josiah. And so I want you to hear that as well. That you have a specific purpose that God has called you to do. That, again, we would love, obviously, for it to be a part of Oceanside as we work together to see God's kingdom come. And I was thinking about, again, I, I love analogies, and you'll, you'll hear me use it a bunch as we go on. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly handy. Uh, you know, the, the idea of whatever, I, I kind of think of like Ikea. When you go to Ikea, and you know those boxes or, or other things where it says, some assembly required, right? And so... You never really know what you're getting yourselves into. You open the box and, and maybe you, you know, you kind of spread it out along the carpet or, or maybe, you know, in the garage and you put everything together, you follow the steps and you're like, okay, you're admiring the thing that you just put together and then you look on the floor and there's these two or three pieces still sitting there and you, and you scratch your head and you're like, okay, obviously the people who put it together, the workers, they, they must have just accidentally thrown in a couple extra nuts and bolts, right? Like, totally wasn't, wasn't me. And why am I using this analogy? You and I are not those extra pieces 
that are just left alone. You are a pivotal part of what God has called this community to. The things that God has called you to. You're not just this, this extra piece that, that isn't supposed to be a part of the wardrobe or, or part of the bike or part of the thing that, you put, that God is putting together. You are vital. You are important. God has a plan for you. If we take a look again at Josiah, what did he do? He went. He took action. He made a plan. He carried it out. He didn't wait. Josiah didn't come with reasons or excuses why he couldn't get on board immediately with what God was telling him to do. If we look back in Scripture, there's countless people we can look to that got on board with God's call, that incredible things happened in their lives and the lives of nations because God was calling them to do something. Esther, Ruth, Joshua, David, Moses, Peter, Paul. We can go through more examples that there was so often in Scripture that God called them to do things and what it called, he called them to do was to step out of their comfort zones. That they had to expand their spiritual comfort zone. That maybe in your life, it's maybe just taking small steps. That it just takes... One little step, that leads to two, that leads to four. Maybe it is, God is calling you to talk to somebody that maybe you've been avoiding. Maybe God is calling you to express your faith to someone who doesn't know your beliefs. Maybe it's risk speaking to a friend in love. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a situation that you normally kind of resist or hesitate. Maybe God is calling you in love to speak something that is difficult, that may require work. Maybe it just starts with that. But again, right, we have to step out to get out of the boat. We're going to take a look, again, further down in, in the scripture here. And what happens is, I'm going to just summarize a little bit here, and what Josiah does is he then, after he cleanses the city, he looks uh, and takes a look at the temple, and it has been left, and it's been in ruin, and, and right, he again grieves over that to see God's house just kind of lay in ruin. And so he gives money to some workers, that the carpenters, construction workers, the masons, and people with lumber would rebuild and just make the temple beautiful again. Because the previous kings had kind of let it go into ruin. Then, as they're rebuilding the temple, they find the book of the law. And we're going to pick it up just after they find the book of the law in verse 19. And so this kind of summary point is, in the seeking, we find something solid to step on. The word of God. So we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us, but now we have the Word of God. Something, again, for us to continue the process of figuring out what God has called us to do. So verse 19, and again, I'm just going to say these names with confidence. Um, and as I say them, hopefully with confidence, you may be like, man, I didn't know that's how they said it. Probably isn't, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go with it here. Probably a drink of water. 
um, as we, we try to not get too tongue-tied with all these names. Um, or I could do it like I know I was listening to uh, a preacher one time, and he just was like, okay, the guy with the A name, the S and the A, and he kind of just like skipped it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go for it again. And when the king heard these words, so again, like I said, I summarized the first little bit. What happened? They found the law, and they read it to him. And as they read it to him, he tore his clothes. Verse 19. Heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hikah and Ikim and Sapha and Abdon and Micah and Safna the secretary and Asha the king the servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Are, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. To do according to all that is written in the book. So, Aika and those of the king had sent and went to the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tochath, and the son of Harsheth, keeping the, the keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And he spoke to her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the men who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that were written in the book that were read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, they might provoke me <clears throat> with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath is poured out on this place and will not be quenched. <clears throat> I'm going to zoom in here on verse 26, 27, and 28. It says, But the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender, you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me, and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall, be, shall not see all the disaster that I am bringing upon you and this place and its inhabitants. Verse 30, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and its inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, and all the people, both great and small. And he read in the hearing of all the word of the book, the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commands and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Verse 32. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. <clears throat> A lengthy piece of scripture, but there's some, some very key points that are in there. 
And the first one, again, just as I went through this, was kind of coming back to this, but when, you're, when you are faced with in-your-face change, what do you do? I know I can come up with excuses, or I can say maybe I'll make changes tomorrow, or the next day, or, or maybe in a month, or maybe when I get this, or I, I, this happens, then I'll make those changes. Not Josiah. Josiah knew that it had to happen now. That he inquired of the Lord. Verse 26 talks about how it shows Josiah's heart. That he had a penitent and humble heart. And the dictionary just says penitent, a feeling or a showing sorrow and regret for have done, done wrong. He really grieved this after he read it. And again, he not only just kept it to himself, but what he did is he gathered all the people, and I love that, right? Big, small, everybody, he gathered them all, kind of like, I kind of envision, right, like this, in, in a forum, people sat there, and he read it out to the people so that they could hear it as well, so that, again, they were part of what God was doing through Josiah's life. Josiah took the sin deadly serious. It grieved him. He did not take it casually, did he? He did a thorough job of cleaning up the pollution that had spread throughout Israel's territory and got everybody starting fresh. That they started to worship God again. That through his lifetime, they sought God. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that it just takes, sometimes it just takes one person to step out. Just one. That could be you. It could be me. It should be me. It should be you <laughs> taking those steps, shouldn't it? One step to move into what the Holy Spirit is calling you and I to. Can't help myself, i got to use more analogies here. And so, I thought I would go to Indiana Jones. How, how many people have seen Indiana Jones, right? And I'm, I, was, I was thinking of the last crusade. And he's got to go through all these tests at the end, right? And he's got his book out, and he's, he's sweating. Because if you can picture it, I, I looked, right, I watched the scene on YouTube again. And so they're in this, cha in this room, and he goes through the first place, and you see, right, there's like skeletons and all these things in front of him. And he's sweating, because he's like, hey, I, I can't, right, make one false move, otherwise I'm going to end up like the rest of them. And his father's lying there, and he's like beckoning him on, right? Saying like, just believe. Just believe. And, and so he's, Indiana Jones is, is again trying to give all these things word for word, right? And he gets through the first uh, kind of step. He gets through the second phase. And then finally it's the hardest test. It's the, the step of faith, right? And if you can picture it in your mind, there's this whatever, 100 foot, 200 foot chasm, wide, and thousands of feet deep. There's no way that he can jump across, there's no way, you know, he can use his whip to, like, 
whatever, glide across like he always does. Like, there's just no way. And he's sweating, and again, his dad's in the background, just believe, just believe. And he's, he's right, right trying to work himself up here. The test requires a leap of faith. Every nerve and fiber in his body is telling him not to do it. He can't see a way across. Again, just believe. Just believe. He's looking, he's like, just believe. Just believe. He's, he's working himself up. He's looking at that chasm and he's looking at it. He's like, okay, I'm going to end up like Wiley Coyote. Right? At the bottom of this thing. And what does he do? He gets to the edge. Lifts up his foot. And takes one big step. And he lands on something solid. Sigh of relief, right? And eventually, obviously, he makes it across, and then the movie continues. But why am I highlighting that piece of story? Is that we can't rely on ourselves. We have to rely on God. It's Jesus, it's God that's calling us to take those steps forward. It's not ourselves. The Holy Spirit prompts us, the Word encourages us to take those steps. We don't just blindly take those steps. It is actually believing. It is believing in the Word. It's believing the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Jesus isn't just looking for some impulses all the time. Whereas some of us maybe need more of those impulses from the Spirit to step out. But often God has been speaking to you. He's encouraging you to step out. So in closing, some, again, summary points. The king cleaned up shop and took out the trash. Is there things in my life or things in your lives that maybe need to be cleaned up? John Ortberg has this little phrase that I, that I like. He says, if you step up to the plate, you may strike out. The greatest hitters in the world fail two times out of three. But if you don't step up to the plate, you will never know the glory of what it is to hit a home run. Do you see that God sees and hears? He's waiting for a people to seek, to humble themselves, and to repent. That he is more than willing and capable of holding back the waters. We see countless times... God's patience with people. God's love for people. That he wants his Holy Spirit to trickle and permeate into our lives. That we so desperately want to see God's glory come, don't we? That if we live in alignment with his ways, it invites his favor and blessing in our lives. And that no one and I mean no one is too far gone for God. No one. Amen. Think of Josiah and the nation that he was in. It took just one. Countless people. His, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father. Nobody to look to, but it just took one. And God heard his prayer. I'd like to just end with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. He says this. He says... It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, 
or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who faces and marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives boundly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And so, friends, I just encourage you with that, to take that bold step in what God is calling to you too, as we've read and as we've seen Josiah did in this piece of scripture this morning. if we can get the team up. Just as Nate was sharing that, that, that amazing quote, I was just thinking, whose face, whose face was covered in dust, sweat, and blood? Hey? Wasn't it Jesus? I think the beautiful thing, Hebrews tells us that, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, just as the, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And, and then it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And just as Nate was sharing, um, I was just thinking about this whole thing that we've sort of heard before. But just when, 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 when Josiah is referenced, um, it references Josiah's father as David, even though Josiah's father was not David. And I think for us, it's easy because the devil is often referred to as the father of lies. And it just reminded me, like, who, is, who do I identify as my father? Because when David, when, when Josiah responded to God, his, his father was identified as David. And with Jesus, while his father on earth was Joseph, Jesus' father is identified as God. And sometimes it's easy for us to identify with a father that is not Father God. It's actually the father of lies. And we can get trapped in things and stuck in things. And the beautiful thing about God is that he... He is not unable to relate to us in our weakness. We don't come to him in fear and trembling and all those things. We, we come to him knowing that he can relate to us in our weaknesses. We come to him knowing that he has gone through everything. That in the great arena of life, we stood on the side and we watched a man with dust, with, with blood and with sweat on his brow. You know what I'm saying? And I think if I could just read one thing over us and then we'll close in worship. Because it helps us understand how we have to respond to God, like Nate was saying. But in Philippians 2, it says this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
But in humility, consider others better than ourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first step is humility, isn't it? I heard someone say, there's no initiating in the kingdom. It's simply responding. We respond respond to the ultimate initiator, initiator, which is Jesus Christ. And I just encourage us, as we close in worship, we can just stand together. Is that it can often feel like we are the ones who are taking the first step. And the reality is we are taking a step. But what we're doing is we're taking a step into his presence. Because he's already taken a step towards us. He's already initiated. He's done the thing. He's done the act of love. He's done that thing to show us what he thinks about us. To show us how he feels about us. And when we take a step and we step into his light and just see his face, we realize that actually he is so able to connect with us, to relate to us, to understand us. And he doesn't judge us as our sins deserve. The Bible tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin from us. And this morning, I just feel like God wants to speak to us. You know, they said we have to respond. And so let's just take a moment and respond in our hearts. If there's something that needs to come in and check, let's just do it. Let's just identify that thing with God. If you need to share it with someone else because it needs to be brought into the light, do that with someone that you love and trust. Do it here now. Um, but let's just take that moment and respond to what God is doing. This is, this is our first step right here, okay?